You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. Hi, I'm Mark. I'm Simon. And our special guest tonight is... Hello, I'm Amy. And you are? I'm Mark's wife and I've been dragged away from my book to join in on this one. And that's because tonight we're going to be talking about... David Tennant. Oh, bless. Uh, Before we talk about David Tennant, though, (laughs) I mean, Amy's here because she was on one a few weeks ago, the other podcast where we brought in significant others to talk about Doctor Who for a while. Mm. And thinking back to that podcast, there was one person who came along, ostensibly to talk about Doctor Who, who just talked about the Midnight Beast instead. Do we all remember that? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, this very day, that person was, you know, checking out her Midnight Beast stuff and discovered that in the next Doctor, when David Tennant arrives in Victorian London and one of the street urchins tells him that it's Christmas time, that actor who played the urchin who told him it was Christmas time is actually Ashley Horn of the Midnight Beast. There you go. So finally, she's found a Doctor Who episode she can watch just because it's got him in it. Well, she ain't never going to watch it. Oh. <laughs> but it's got him in it. The truth always wins she, through. She's never going to finish telling me about that. <laughs> David Tennant, then. But first, before David Tennant, it's time for On the Spot. And just prior to On The Spot, I'm going to really put somebody on the spot by asking Simon, Simon, when was the last time you watched The Talents of Wang Jiang? Oh, no, you are (laughs) kidding. (laughs) (laughs) That's so mean. Okay, come on then. We We just mentioned this before we pressed record, and now I'm calling you up on it live on air. No way. Yes, when was the last time you watched it? Uh, When it was first transmitted. Unforgivable. At my grandparents' house. And you gave Lee such a hard time, didn't you, about missing out on series five and six, waiting for them to come out on DVD. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> gave Lee a hard time about that. I know. Me included. Seriously, we've gotten on the spot. And seriously, yes. it is for the next 60 seconds, Lee is going to be talking about Smith and Jones. Hey? Yes, Smith and Jones, Lee, for oh, 60 seconds. I can remember. Um... <laughs> Smith and Jones. Well, actually, I really like Smith and Jones. I thought the Jadoon were a brilliant creation. I love the fact that they end up on the moon. It's about time they ended up on the moon. They did it again, of course, with Dare the Moon, kind of. But, um, yeah, the moon is an underused um, uh, alien planet or satellite in Doctor Who. I like the idea that the uh, always RTD's got an excuse, uh, you know, always got ways of making people be in ridiculous situations and survive in a kind of scientific way. So it's got a giant oxygen bubble around it. I just love the fact that it's taken out and plonked on the moon and the Jadoon's running through a hospital. Uh, the plasma, no, what's it called? Plasmavore, is that right? The um, the vampire. I was really annoyed that the vampire was just an old lady with a straw. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> I was expe- Because I had in my head a vampire 
being quite, I don't know, like a sexy kind of thin, weird, <laughs> ghostly shape coming through and being really cool. And then there was an old lady with a flipping straw, which actually by the end oh, of it, I, I no, no, by the end of it, I really, I fell for it. I loved it, actually. The only thing I was disappointed about was the slabs. They didn't get a backstory. And actually, you've managed to go over a minute, so well done. Yeah, well and I didn't mention me. Martha at all. Oh, God, when, you, when I said Smith That's and Jones, odd. I was convinced that you'd struggle to remember which episode that was for at least two minutes before <laughs> finally kicking in. It didn't work at all. My plan went all to pot. Uh, we're going to talk about David Tennant. But before we do, I have another email to read out from Gary Davison. Uh, looking forward to the 50th anniversary. Sudden thought. With dinosaurs on a spaceship and the news of the Mark Gatiss-written docudrama, all I really need is an appearance by the Zygons and a multi-doctor story and my wish list for the 50th will be complete. It is intriguing, wondering what involvement there will be from past doctors. David Tennant, the diehard fan, will do something, I've no doubt. And Christopher Eccleston just got to do that big drama for the BBC. Was that a sweetener, I wondered to myself. Mm, maybe. <clears throat> and I doubt it would be exactly. no, probably not <laughs> yeah. but you never know it would be nice uh, there's been more talk just in the last few days mm. about Christopher Eccleston being a possibility he has said there's more that he can do with that character yeah the timing of that interview people seem to have taken as an indication that Christopher Eccleston is mellowing to the idea of coming back you know his Paul McGann's hair has grown a bit longer <laughs> here we go <laughs> we can guess at this game. I will find out in the fullness of time, but I am convinced there'll be a multi-doctor story one way or another. Oh, it better be. Yeah, it's a 50th birthday party. You don't not invite the guests of honour, do you? Um, <laughs> Mind you, Coldplay didn't do the Olympic ceremony. Thank goodness. Uh, both McGann and McCoy have said they are up for it now. Davison is friends with the Moth and David Tennant's father-in-law, so the combined peer, family, grandchild, child pressure would be overwhelming. Even Tom Baker said something along the lines of to not be involved would be a disservice to the fans. Mm. The only one I've not heard or read anything about is Colin Baker, but I'm sure if all the other classic doctors would be up for an awful lot of running... Uh, how about a Forrest Gump Trials and Tribulations style story? Perhaps everything pre-Time War is also locked, which could be an explanation for why they've aged. Who knows? You can come up with an explanation. Matt Smith sneaking around in the background of an unearthly child, the faceless mm. ones, invasion yes. of the dinosaurs. I love that. Invasion of the dinosaurs. Well, he likes dinosaurs. <laughs> the glove puppet dinosaur. fan. <laughs> Sock with eyes on it. Actually, you couldn't do that because it's filmed in H HD, so... Yeah, you can't do it. That's no, the I mean, it's a nice idea, but it's But you'd actually, have to recreate it it's a with actors looking black and white. Revisiting all his past selves without <laughs> disturbing his own timeline. Get over the potential problem of ageing doctors. Perhaps those who still could pass for their doctor, Davison McCoy, could record inserts where they almost see something. And there was a scene in a big Finnish drama recently where docs 5 to 8 all appeared. Nice scene at the end where they were all in the console room before their time streams realigned. That'd be cute. Bit of gentle ribbing and a chat. David, David Tennant saying to Matt Smith, you've redecorated, mm. etc. Anyway, Gary Davison, that was a few random thoughts, he says. Hope that's of interest. Definitely. Yeah, nice one, Gary. Definitely. I think yeah. we're going to have to do another <clears throat> looking forward to the 50th episode sometime. Yeah. It's because there's so much to say and think about yeah. that. When is that scheduled for, do we know? Uh, November the 23rd, 2013. Right. So after the next brand new season, we can start <laughs> talking about it. Yeah. Maybe. If I do get married that day. Where are you guys going to be? Watching Doctor, Doctor Who. Who. <laughs> Sorry, mate. At your wedding. 
Oh, on the big screen. On the big screen. Yeah. Plasma screen. Mm. Just imagine that. Oh, Maybe you could awesome. get married five weeks later on the anniversary of the Daleks' first appearance. Nah. Oh, okay. Nah. It's... Uh, look, I did say, <laughs> before we get onto the subject of David Tennant, I did say we'd do a shout out to Wesley Smith this week because, well, for reasons I can't say, but we just mm-hmm. want to send out our love to Wesley Smith, who did the first version of our theme tune, and we'll be doing the next one as well that will debut mm-hmm. in maybe the start of October. Yeah. And now, onto the subject of David Tennant. Uh, now, I've got a bit of a confession to make. You hate him? <laughs> Pretty much. Really? No. Not hate. hate is a strong not. word. No. David Tennant, I think he he seems to me like a lovely chap. I got a lot of like for him, a lot of respect for him. But as an actor, I just don't find him convincing. In what way? Well, I, there's just something about his performance that is insincere. When he tries to do the serious stuff, I'm just not convinced that he means it. I totally the opposite. I, he he could he could sell me uh, a, an igloo. <laughs> so that's out of context. Somebody do the uh, you know obviously. He could sell you a TiVo. He could sell me an igloo. I don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I mean. He could sell you a. He could sell ice to the igloos, but I'm saying he could sell me an igloo. I'd buy it off him straight away. He could sell ice to the igloos. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast has not started in the right way, has it? <laughs> That's no, but what I'm saying is I, I, I love David Tennant. I love his style of acting. I like the fact that he can change. He can have about eight shades in about four seconds worth of acting. And it is all on the nose, on the button, convincing. And oh, no, but to me, that's all affectation. It's the best thing that could have happened to Doctor Who. Mm. He was. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm not denying that. Mm. He's he was like the Patrick Troughton of the new series. He was the... He was like the Patrick Troughton of the new series. Well, it, I guess it, he was. Because it, it, you know, it would either sink or swim with his first season. So, yeah, Absolutely. Think. Yeah. Yeah, no question. All right. And Amy, quite... though, I'm sure you've got something to say about what I just said. Well, I have to admit, I probably do like David Tennant enough for both of us, so I can kind of make up for you. Okay, I'll let you get away with that. Yeah. As an actor, um, though, or do you just like him because he's got a nice bum? I think he's a good actor. <clears throat> the bum helps, so does the accent. Um, <laughs> the Scottish like or the English? I do like Scotsman, admittedly. Well, he's not he doesn't do Scots Scottish. in Doctor Who, no, he's no, not. That's, is true. He does. that's true, he does in one. Yeah, he's um, true. Uh, what about human nature? Does he not do. I can't remember now. No, I'm trying to think. No, he's still no, playing no. English on He is still, isn't he? Mm. He does yeah. in Teeth and Claw, though. Okay, for about five minutes. Yeah. Okay. So is that your favourite ever David Tennant episode then? Tooth and Claw. The one with the Scottish accent. I do like that one. There's quite a few of them that I like. We watched Midnight. Mm. And that's one that I like, despite the fact, I think you've spoken personally before about the fact I'm not a big Russell T Davies fan for a lot of his stories. But that's one that I do really like, so I like the tension in it. Tooth and Claw's also a Russell T Davies, I have to admit. Uh, I have to admit, I like that one. Well, there you go. You're a Russell T. Davis fan and you didn't even uh, know it. Wouldn't go that far. <laughs> um, insofar as themes are concerned, we touched upon this last week. And I was saying that Russell T. Davis had, in a way, kind of shot himself in the foot by the time David Tennant became the Doctor because he'd backed the series into a position whereby... Doctor was far more 
of a central aspect to the themes of the series than he ever had been in the classic series and perhaps more than he really should have been. I mean, when David Tennant was the Doctor, it really did become the Doctor show, didn't it? Mm. And you got that sense every season that they were making it bigger and bigger and bigger and you were just wondering how much further they could go with it. Well, yeah, but I mean, they could have done that anyway. But what they were also doing was getting closer and closer and closer to the Doctor and to what the Doctor was about. Mm. I mean, you were saying, Simon, that if you rebooted the series, and Lee was saying this as well, you could get away from the Doctor being at the centre of the stories and just have him turn up and be in the stories. Mm. Now, that's something we didn't really ever see during the David Tennant years, was it? No, not really. Um, He did... No, that's the problem. The focus was always upon the Doctor being the Doctor. I know that it's famously said that the show's called Doctor Doctor Who, so it should be about the Doctor. But look at the Doctor Light episodes. Blink. You know, it works really well with him just turning up at the end and he's halfway through an adventure. Yeah. And and, and you, you've had an adventure around him to do with him. That works really, really well, I think. Um, so even though I love David Tennant, and I absolutely adore the guy, too much of him by the end of his tenure, you know, there's too much of him about him and him going on about how brilliant he is and what a fantastic time lord he is i think that you know it's just too much I, once soon as he got to the speech about i'm a 900 year old time lord you know yeah the one in voyage of the, yeah i'm 900 year old time lord i come from gallifrey i'm gonna save everybody on the ship and it's me it's all about me at that point i thought this is i've had enough of this now mm. I, I want him to pull back and hide in the shadows and by the time you get to the specials actually yeah. those specials are pretty much all about the Doctor, especially at the end of time. Mm. Yeah, the whole Time Lord thing. But it's very mopey. I mean, he goes, he goes through that. Uh, what's that Tritavol story called again? Planet of the Dead. Planet of the Dead. Okay, so he's all having a bit of fun, noopy doopy doo, and then suddenly somebody knocks Oopie four times. <laughs> somebody knocks four <laughs> times, and he's miserable for the next bunch of them, you know. But uh, I don't know. When he goes, when he goes miserable and mopey and self-absorbed, I don't like the Doctor like that. I want my Doctor to be a bit more fun. I liked him when he was fun with Rose. I liked him when he was having a bit of fun with Martha when he was checking him out at Smith and Jones. <laughs> Do you know what I'm going <laughs> to sort of nominate as an underrated episode, in so far as David Tennant and the Tenth Doctor is concerned? Fear her. Yeah, I think that's actually a really good episode for David Tennant and for the Tennant. Do you know Doctor. what? I think you and me are alone in this because I actually quite liked Fear Her. Well, and I've been quite quiet about this because people are going to mob me on it. And the last five minutes <laughs> really undoes everything that's yeah. happened before. The money with the torch was wrong. But for the first forty minutes, it's a great story. But it's also a great showcase for David Tennant just relaxing as the Doctor, rather than putting it on as the Doctor. I mean, there are so mm. many, especially the two-parters and the finales, so many stories that David Tennant did where he really had to showcase the Doctor. And in Fear Her, there's quite a lot of stuff, and part of this is down to Eros Lynn's direction, but there's quite a lot of stuff where you just see the Doctor and Rose kicking back and almost relaxing in an adventure, mm. which you don't yeah. get very often. Tooth and Claw has got a lot of that stuff as well, also directed by Eros Lynn, mm. funnily enough. I think it's something to do with Eros Lynn. He seems to relax. Yeah, you're right, right. you're right. There are a few mistakes throughout that that particular episode. But the, you know, the ending where he runs up with the, the Olympic torch mm. is not the Doctor I would imagine. I can't imagine Sylvester McCoy, William Hartnell, Patrick Tran, anybody else doing it. And no. he's up there going, "Yeah, yeah, look at me, look at me, I'm doing this." Mm. Why would he do that? He likes his anonymity. So I would have loved to have seen him trip and then Rose pick it up. 
So you've got this beautiful chav at the top with this wonderful, <laughs> you know, Olympic torch. And she's like, she's going, yeah, look at me, look at my moment. I'm great. And then he can be standing back smiling at her thinking, yeah, you know, this, this is great. You're feeling really proud of something or whatever. It just would have been better. I don't know why RTD or whoever was writing that yeah, particular episode Matthew decided one, but they, on you know, the RTD doctor being the central it. part of the this worldwide, you know, billions of people watching this moment. Why would you want to be known? I think the idea was that they had to tie it into the Olympics somehow. And I don't know whether they just didn't see how awful that section was going to be and how mm. wrong. Mm. But they just they decided they were going to set it in 2012 and they decided they were going to have this Olympic tie-in thing. Mm. And then they must just have thought to themselves, well, if we're going to set it during the Olympics, we have to have the Olympic tours. And it's even more galling that the Olympics didn't even recognise Doctor Who in exactly. any of their open well, and closing ceremonies. They did have the TARDIS noise. Mm. Oh, wow. Brilliant. <laughs> they came out of Dalek. The video montage got cut, didn't it? Yeah. I think yeah. for me, I love Tennant. I think he's great. But for me, the beginning and the end was in Last of the Time Lords, that whole thing where he gets very messianic and starts floating yeah. through the air. And it just, that well, we would see bit. the I religious... I completely different take on that. The religious iconography, uh, mm. you know, the, him being like Jesus or yeah. God goes all the way through that you have him with the host being brought up he put, puts out his hands like he's on a crucifix mm. and he gets pulled up by the host he does the crucifix thing again when the arch uh, archangel network is tuned into yeah. every psychic prayers um and all this kind of stuff and it's just like i this is coming from an atheist rtt there's a <laughs> lot of religious stuff going through yeah. this, this series and well, i kind of like it i think it's nah, fun it kind of left me cold he's but, taking the mickey yeah i know but i don't i don't like that necessarily i, I do like it actually but I didn't like the way it was done with Doctor Who. And I certainly don't I think find, the Doctor should be as an a atheist god. myself, religious iconography is extremely potent. Yeah. So I understand. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying it's not right in Doctor Who. It just didn't seem right. It seemed very sickly. Uh, mm. A lot of people I talked to at the end of, um, uh, not Sound of Drums, um, Last of the Time Lords. Last of the Time Lords. They said, oh, God, you know, yeah. I nearly had a, g- a gag when that happened. Mm. And it's true because it was over the top. It was over the dumb. Him floating towards the master in this mm. kind of forgiving too much, far too much, you know. Mm. But uh, even though it was kind of explained, wasn't it? It was totally explained. And that's a great thing about RTD. Whereas Moff has uh, has Amy Clap wishing your hands three times and click it wishing him back into existence. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like that, though. I kind of like the idea that you can put magic in Doctor Who. Fairy you like fairy magic. tales, don't you? I prefer fairy tale magic to coming up with some off-the-cuff scientific You can have fairy tale magic with a little bit of a, an explanation as well. Why not? That shows you quite well, clever yeah. storytelling. No, no, I would do that myself. I would give the off, you know, I'd give the ridiculous scientific explanation. I would. Yeah. But I kind of like the magic. I like uh, a little bit of magic. Do you? <laughs> I do. Let's rewind to Christmas Invasion. The crispy invasion. <laughs> crispy invasion. I love the crispy invasion. Simon's a little <laughs> tired. <laughs> I am very tired. <laughs> Don't admit it on air. Why? Uh, We've got to keep the magic up. The illusion. When you've got three children, there's no illusion. <laughs> anyway, is this to, podcast going to be all invasion. about us? Or are we going to talk about <laughs> yeah, the crispy invasion? Um, no, in as much as it, it was one heck of a debut, wasn't it? Mm. I... Adored that debut. I know people said oh, he was he was out for the count halfway through. He's in a bed, wasn't he? But well, if they watch Castrovalva, that's how. Yeah, exactly. But there was a moment where the tree attacked, and he just woke up, threw his sonic screwdriver, went yeah. back to bed again. I love that, mm. and I love the fact that everybody was so helpless without him. And when he did 
become, you know, when he did wake up, he completely solved everything mm, very yeah. quickly. And he, he just <clears throat> walked in yeah. and said, oh, hello, right, that button, moment big red button, yeah. And I was thinking, I'm not sure I like this. It was going so well. And that, now he's being silly. That moment with the um, TARDIS translator. Yeah. When the Sycorax is going oh, off on one, and then suddenly he starts yes. talking, and he's like, wow, yeah. Yeah, beautifully done. I loved it. And I love the Sycorax as well. I think Very the problem awesome. with the Christmas invasion, I don't really like it very much. And I'll tell you why. Russell T. Davis has this big problem with writing exciting stuff, but not keeping the scenes short and snappy. He has said himself that when other writers come in, mm-hmm. they'll do two scenes taking mm-hmm. place in parallel and intercutting between the two. Chris Chibnall. Like in 42, Chib- Chibnall did it. But Russell T. Davis can't do that. David Tennant wakes up. 35 minutes into that episode, and for the next 15 minutes of an action-adventure serial, it is all one scene. Mm. And then the story ends 10 minutes before the episode does, and for the next 10 minutes, there is another single scene that forms a coda to the story that has already finished. It, it is weirdly unbalanced writing. Very unbalanced. I love Rusty Davis's writing, but action-adventure... He he really doesn't have mm. the discipline. Mm. He really should have stopped himself there and made something more exciting out of that. Because you're right, David Tennant comes out and he talks and he does a monologue that is the best part of 10 minutes long. And he and mentions Arthur Dent as well, which is great. Okay, <laughs> but you get, I mean, you get, it's nice that you've been made to wait 40 minutes for the Doctor, however long it is. Mm. And then you get a great big bundle of the Doctor but you just get too much all in one go. Well, but does it work? I think it does. I think Do it work I mean, it, it, it almost works because one thing I have got to grumble with is when people are explaining plots away or the villain's about to tell the Doctor the, you know, his, his dastardly plan. Basil or, exposition. Yeah, or the Doctor's saying something and then all of the baddies are just standing there waiting to finish what he's saying. If you're really that evil, you just shoot the guy as he's talking, right? <laughs> and they got 15 minutes in which to do yeah, that. Yeah, you just shoot him in the face and go, right, okay, now shut up. I'm going to take over the world. But, um, you know, they let him talk. The Sycorax stand there and just watch him talk. But there are some fantastic moments in there, some moments of power that make but you suddenly are. go, God, it's the Doctor. And he's not just the Doctor. He holds the electric, electric whip, takes it out of his hand. You could have somebody's eye out with that, a little tiny quip. <laughs> yeah. Absolute brilliance. But that is RTD doing fun. Well, that's There's the best and little, the worst of Russell little Davis. gems in there. The cup of tea, yeah, yeah. yeah. My the wife cup loves of tea that. And the <laughs> and the hand at the end, you know, it's com- it's complete Princess Bride, but it's the hand, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But I can do this. Great. Well, you can tell oh, they've yeah. all been watching Star Wars as well, can't you? Well, yeah. yeah but... Well, you know, and of course, the hand played a massive part throughout the rest of the absolutely his tenure basically well rusty davis does that a lot doesn't he yeah. he'll do something he's not like um chekhov with his gun where you put something in the first act because you know you're going to yeah. use it in the third yeah he's a bit more like the anti-chekhov where he'll put something in his first act and then he'll suddenly think to himself in the third act oh i, I put that in there let's see if i can find a way to use it <laughs> not quite how you're supposed to do it russell but it works <laughs> it works if you read his book the writer's tale as well you do get the impression that that is not unusual for him. He kind of well, no, that's why lot, I brought it up. There's lots of entries about uh, <laughs> him writing at two, three in the morning with terrible insomnia and just struggling to get a story together. Mm. And I think well, Overlook- sometimes it pays off, sometimes it doesn't. Overlooking Cardiff Bay. 
A lot of bits were set. Yeah, in fact. <laughs> what are the great stories, David Tennant? Great stories the great, uh, great. for David good. Tennant as the Doctor, rather than, say, for Russell T. Davis as the writer. Impossible Planet, I think, is quite nice because he, he questions, you know, the existence of a devil and, a, mm. you know, and all that sort of thing. Yeah. I find that that story intensely dull. Really? Really? Yeah. Really do. Wow. I love that story. What, what can be possibly um, dull about a man on the end of a rope in a black cabin talking about whether God or the devil exists? Sounds brilliant to me. Doesn't grab <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I, I'm not saying I, it's bad. I'm just saying. No, it I think me. he's good in that. I, I don't know. It's really hard because I think as the Doctor, there isn't one story that I'm looking at here amongst all of them where he himself isn't very good in it. I just think he's brilliant through them all. Um, I don't know. We're all looking at a piece of paper. We now. are looking at a piece of paper, but <clears throat> apart from I think. And it's not David Tennant, is it? It's the Doctor. Apart from when the Doctor starts banging on about how important he is, and you know that's the only thing I have a mm. problem with the the godlike thing that kept coming through the Time Lord Victorious and all that. Oh, don't to... get me on Time Lord Victorious. Well, it may as well. I think you and I, Jr., disagree quite strongly on about. human nature. Not necessarily. Let's get to that. Let's try and sort of have a bit of, since we've just done the Christmas invasion, mm. let's try and go a bit chronological because we haven't planned this episode at all. And I've not even... Surprise. Usually <laughs> when we do a Doctor, it's because I've written about them in the magazine, so I've got at least an idea <laughs> of what we might use as a template for the episode. But I haven't even done Tenant yet. So what is the first story? Okay, Christmas invasion, he comes out and he does that 15-minute scene. But then you've got New Earth, and I think we can all agree that New Earth was... I mean, New Earth could have worked really well. That whole body-swapping thing, it's very funny. It's a nice comedy episode, but as your first episode in your first series with a new Doctor... Mm. I mean, I know it's not his first story, but it's the first episode mm. in his first full mm. series. That is not the best way to kick off by um, having your Doctor, mm. you know, having his body taken over... I remember watching stuff. that over, it was Easter, I think they played that. And um, I came away feeling a bit empty about it. I didn't think it yes. was that brilliant. Yeah, no. It had the face of Bo in it. It had, you know, David Tennant doing body swapping. It had Cassandra, who I really liked. Um, but for some reason, I didn't like Chip, annoyed me. But I, And the story was quite nice about her going back and seeing herself. And, you know, that was a nice ending. And it was unsatisfying, though. But for it? some reason, it felt a bit empty, a little and bit... the ending sort of mirroring um, The Empty Child, the ending of The yeah, Empty Child Yeah, well, well. exactly. Yeah, yeah, everybody lives. Type I thing. think it would have been a nice mid-series episode. Yes. A nice light episode in the middle of a series. But to kick off, it just doesn't have the substance. You really the... need a strong story for the Doctor to kick off mm. your first series. Do you think RTD said, right, we're gonna, this one's going to be at Easter, let's have some lepers in it? <laughs> I think what Russell T. Davis said was, here's a story, he, he liked to have something comic to kick off with, and he had this story, and I don't think this story was originally planned to be the first one, but I think he bumped it up to first because of the comedy aspects, because he thought it was light to get the series off. So what of that series would have light. been first? Oh, gosh, I, no. I think if you, if you go back to the classic series, they would have had the Sideman story. You, you could possibly. have done, but I think I, I think Tooth and Claw would have been quite good because it's 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 separate from everything else. Yeah, I mean, you look, Tooth agree. and Claw was a late addition for the Runaway Bride. Was it really? Runaway Bride oh, was originally right. not Christmas. It was originally like episode seven in that series. Oh, wow. And they bumped that to Christmas after 
uh, they got the go-ahead to make the Christmas special a regular thing. Because uh-huh. he hadn't mm. been planning on doing Christmas specials every year. When they said, let's have another Christmas special, he said, what can I do? Mm. And he used Runaway Bride and then wrote Tooth and Claw virtually overnight to fill in the slot that was suddenly vacant. But you get the Torchwood arc beginning in Tooth and Claw. It would have begun somewhere else. Yeah, it would have begun somewhere else. So, I don't know. I mean, Tooth and Claw could have worked at Easter time. They could have given the Monkey Monks a bit more to do. (laughs) Monkey Monk Monk. I think Tooth and Claw would have been a stronger episode to start. He thought it was too dark to be a first episode. Really? I think Stephen Mm. Moffat's proved that you can actually go quite dark with your first episode. I think so. People can handle it. People can definitely handle it a lot of fun in that episode as well they're very excited about the idea of facing a werewolf which i think that's quite mm. a lot of fun in that yeah it's uh, that's that's an important moment actually that's the moment when i got quite annoyed with the pair of them i was thinking just like queen victoria it was like what the heck do you think you're doing people's lives having are fun these are people are dying excited. here yeah. yeah, and that was there was a moment where I really liked in New Earth when when she says, "Do you know, Doctor? I just love being with you." And I kind of went, "Oh, yeah, I know what she, I know what she means." But by <laughs> Tooth and Claw, I'm thinking, it "Hang on a minute, far. yeah, you guys are getting a bit. You need to be humbled." I think Russell well, yes, that pays off in Satan Pit, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was the whole point. Yeah, of course it was. Yeah, that in as yeah. A... Is Tooth and Claw the moment where David Tennant's Doctor beds in? Or maybe is it the next episode, School Reunion? Mm, I think Tooth and Claw, actually. I yeah. think he beds in quite early. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, he, he becomes the Doctor because he's in a room full of books and he solves it by reading stuff. And, you know, it's a bit, a bit Scooby-Doo, isn't it? But, you know, he basically sits there and works <laughs> it out while there's a werewolf prowling around um, and he's having fun and he's being told off by Queen Victoria. It's, it, that is pretty much tenant for most of it, for, for the rest of his tenure, until you get to the mopey part of him. He starts wondering well, I'll be miserable. Mopey Park kicks in pretty quick, doesn't it? Girl in the fireplace. Uh, well, yeah, I suppose. He gets a bit. <laughs> well, that's the I first sp- time you see uh, the 10th Doctor having a bit of a mope. Yes, well, it's not a mope. It becomes, it's, it's, actually, it's actually quite. Oh, it's genuine. He's genuinely upset. Yes, and actually, what I, I'm saying is. That was quite powerful. Oh, it was. Point. But what, what I'm saying is, I wonder if because he's done that then, they kind of made that a part of his character yeah possibly it does it does feel like throughout all of this is that his happy cheery go lucky persona is a bit fake well it proves by the end of it doesn't it that it pretty much is fake he's just trying to be happy and chirpy and he's having time a time of his life with rose because he's the last of the time because he's the last of time lords let's let's rewind School reunion, you go back to there, you've got some depth there you've got some darkness there you know sarah jane questions him so you just clear off and leave us to it Mm. And then that gets related to Rose. So she do, turns around and says, are you going to do the same thing to me? They so. do in that series something that they didn't do with Christopher Eccleston in that they, you know, Christopher Eccleston series, he was the Doctor, she was Rose, they fight monsters, and they showed us what Doctor Who is. Then in the second series, this first one with David Tennant, they actually question, who is he? And you've got that with the Sarah Jane story. You've got that with the Satan bit story. Mm. You've got that really strongly in Love and Monsters. Mm-hmm. Even though he's not there, that's mm. all about who is the Doctor. Yeah, and his effect on people. And, and look how early in the series School Reunion is. That's his, well, including Christmas Invasion, it's only his fourth episode, and already he's revisiting the Doctor's past. Big yeah. style. Yeah, I was quite Very surprised with those early stories. New Earth was an app. Uh, 
a weird step to take because it was so light and so frivolous for a first story of a first series mm. for a new doctor. Mm. But then you go on after that and you've got school reunion, which is something that you do with an established character. And they're doing it right at the top of his first series. And then you've got girl in the fireplace, the doctor falling in love. That's something you do once you've established a doctor. And again, that's straight on top of school reunion. And this whole series, this whole second series, about two thirds of the episode seem to be questioning what is the character of the doctor all about. Even before they get into things like gridlock, where in Tennant's middle series, they start bringing the last of the Time Lords thing out of him so they mm. can set him up for the way he ends. But even before that, they spend his first series questioning who is the Doctor and what is he for. And you've got all these stories, <clears throat> you know, getting into the character in a way that the classic series never did and the TV movie obviously never did. And they never did with Christopher Eccleston either. Mm. So all of a sudden, there's a completely new sort of um, tone to let's, Doctor Who. Let's not forget that Doctor himself is opening up as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, Christopher Eccleston's Doctor was a closed book. There was things he didn't want to talk about. Tennant comes along. He wants to talk about it all he the talks time. About well, he doesn't yeah. quite right, right away. Like I say, he likes to have a bit of fun, doesn't he? Yes. It's only when he, when uh, Rose uh, is caught in the, the other dimension and he's he's sitting there going, right, but well, she was my savior. Now she's gone. Now I'm really miserable. I'm the last of the Time Lords, and I haven't got a girlfriend. That's it. I'm and not then talking to no one. Martha comes along and he tells her blooming everything. He does because it's like a counselor, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's like, like your a best. Catharsis. It's like your best friend turns up. You know, Martha's his agony aunt, basically. And yet she's <laughs> falling in love with him, and yeah. he's just unburdening this unrequited love, which is very good. But it's a line, very actually. strange thing to see the Doctor do as well. Mm, it is. Oh, they couldn't have done that with Eccleston. Could they have done that with any of the other actors who played the Doctor? No, I don't think so. McGann. <clears throat> Really hard to say because McGann did yeah, no, not have no, any no, no. kind of a shout at actually being Maybe. Doctor Who. Possibly, actually. I think mm. that could possibly have happened. And then you get um, human nature, mm. where you've had all these stories that question what it is to be the Doctor, what the Doctor's makeup is. And then you get a story that actually lays it down on the line and shows you what the differences are between the Doctor and a regular man. And it has the same person being both those things, so you can show it. That's quite brave. Because mm. they pushed that a lot further than the book did. Yeah, I mean, when I read the book, I really enjoyed it, but it wasn't one of my favourite books, strangely mm. enough. But when I saw Human Nature um, and what uh, David Tennant did with that <clears throat> character throughout that, I just thought, you know, it was uh, the most amazing bit of acting from him to play a human version of the Doctor anyway. And I, I don't know, just the whole story is brilliant. The fact that, that you know, when you're a human and you don't know what being a, a Time Lord is about and that you have to sacrifice your life as a human to become this other person. And in fact, when he does become the other person again, which is the Doctor at the end, and he comes back in and the girl that he's fallen in love with just looks at him and goes, well, I don't actually like you. I prefer you as a human. Mm. And we all love the Doctor. So it's a bit jarring seeing somebody not like our hero and then making us not like him as well. Very strange kind of <clears throat> writing, but very brave. But because she'd only met him as the human. Yeah. But it, like you says, it, qu it makes us question our hero all the way and through. And then it goes a little stage further as well, because unlike in the book, at the end of Human Nature, and you can't tell me this isn't magic, 
he imprisons somebody in the mirror. And I, he gives all these I hate that end. four members of <laughs> oh, the I family. <laughs> there's I two. There's, I hate and love it. Do you know why? Because that would be a brilliant comic strip. Yeah. Right? That would be a great comic strip. I hate it because he's just so cruel. That's just a horrible thing to do to any of them, to do that. To make them live forever as a scarecrow, for goodness sake. You know, <laughs> imagine being a scarecrow in, in the year 2840 or something. And they're all going, to me, that story is... that standing in the field? For me, that story in that series is really important because I don't know how you guys felt watching it when it went out, but having really enjoyed series two, series three for me, it just it took a while to really take off. And we, for my take on it, the the run of stories leading into human nature and family of blood were not particularly great, and that no. really for me, lifted the quality of that series. And then from then on in, mm. it's just, you know, it just gets better and better and better. It does. It does actually, yeah, looking at the list there. I think there's a point in series three where the production nature, the sort of production line nature of Doctor Who kind of comes to play a bit. They're making 14 episodes a year, every year at this point, And there's a bit, there's a point where it comes to where the bow breaks. The pressure on it is too much. And you suddenly get a run of episodes where the inspiration's not there. Mm. It's not that they're not well made. It's not that they're not well written. It's not that they're not well acted. But there's just that inspiration that makes a good story a great story. And that the first two series, the Eccleston and the first Tenant one, mm. had in abundance. And the you're right. The run of stories at the start of that third series, they just don't have that inspiration. There's no momentum there. I'll tell you what, me. though, we've, for the listener, we've got, we literally got the list of stories up <laughs> on a piece of paper that we're looking at. And this is taking me back to when I was in a band and, and was working out set lists. <laughs> it's that business of ramping up towards the end where you have a bit of a pick, you know, something, something a bit lively, and then you have a lull, you have something quieter and what have you. But you're building up towards that crescendo at the end. When you hope you get an encore, mm. and uh, that, that's exactly what's happening with that. Nice analogy. It's um, looking at that. It does pick up speed as it goes. Smith along. and Jones is a cracker of a story to start with. It's and really, actually, I think Shakespeare did a bang, did a bang, did a bang, and Gridlock too are as well. Yeah, I really like. Yeah, they are. That's what I'm saying. I think it's in the middle of that series where you suddenly get the dip. The Shakespeare Code, I think, is a good. Fun one, but I am a bit of an English geek, so I'm going to like that one a lot. I think <laughs> Differ on Gridlock, because that's one that I'm not too keen on, apart from the cute kittens. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Who doesn't like cute kittens? Yeah. <laughs> but the Shakespeare Code is a lot of fun, I think, which is, it's a great episode. Uh, there's a lot of humour in it as well, which is, I think, one thing that I really like about that. And I like as well um, that... It's so new to Martha's character and she's having fun with it. She's back in time, which is a totally new experience for her. So although we've said that series really gets going with human nature, I do think that the Shakespeare Code, for me, is a standout one of the earlier bit. I think the problem is, I think those first three stories in that third series, that second series of Tenant, are great fun stories 
great tales told, but they don't attain classic status because unlike uh, some of the other early stories like Girl in the Fireplace and School Reunion, they don't have that hint of inspiration. Mm. Shakespeare Code, it's a nice story, it's fun, it's all the right bases, but all it's doing is going through the motion of things like The Unquiet Dead that the series has already done. Mm. And uh, Smith and Jones, great first episode, got some great fun stuff in it. But what is there in Smith and Jones that really elevates it? Um, I don't know, really. I mean, it's a runaround, to be honest, isn't it? It is. It's a runaround. But I think it's just a bit of fun. That's what it felt like to me. It was. It's quite funny. It had a great new creature in it. Great, um, you know, location, right. and but, also it's the introduction of a new. But that's all it is. It's a bit of fun. Yeah. A bit of fun. It introduces a new character, and it's a bit of fun. Yeah. But there's nothing in that story that says, right, if we weren't introducing a new character, what would it be about? Yeah. What is it for? What's it about? Mm. It's, you know, you look at things like, I mean, Rose of Necessity has to introduce Billy Piper and reintroduce Doctor Who as a concept. And it's a classic for doing that. Really gets down to the absolute knuckle of what it needs to do and does it brilliantly. Smith and Jones has to introduce Martha and it does it. Yeah. And then you get to the end of the 45 minutes mm. and it's introduced Martha. You could and say the same of Partners in Crime though, couldn't you? Yeah, well, I but, was going to say that's the same That's made because that. of Donna. No, I but, was going to say that. Yeah. That's what I was coming to. By the time you get to the third series there, all of Russell T. Davis's genuine creative talent needs to be moved into the back end of the series rather than spread throughout the series. People think the fourth series, the one with Donna, a lot of people like that one a lot, think it's the strongest because of the Doctor and Donna, the sparring, the yeah, partnership. Yeah, absolutely. But look at the stories, and the story's actually pretty weak mm. in terms of mm. what they're saying and what they're doing. I think it's the same thing. You get to silence in the library for some, not me, and mine turns at, mine starts at midnight. Midnight turn left stolen earth. I love those. Mm. I think they're fantastic, very strong. But up to that point, they're okay stories. I th- mostly it's because of Catherine Tate's Donna that I absolutely love that season. I just yeah. think she's a fantastic well, character that's what I'm and a saying. great actress. What I'm saying is, you know, everybody who writes a Doctor Who story will always sit down with the intention that that story will be the best Doctor Who story that's ever been made. Mm. But it's not just a case of sitting down and doing the work and writing it, and then somebody comes in as a director and casts it and gets it performed. Mm. You also need that little bit of inspiration as well. I something hated actually, the Doctor's daughter. God, I Something that. that actually makes <laughs> the Sorry. story stand out and be something. Well, that should have been, shouldn't it? The Doctor's Daughter. Yeah. I mean, that if you think about how powerful a title that is uh, and how powerful the idea is that, you know, you get another Time Lord from, I don't know, the blood of David Tennant's Doctor or whatever. I don't know. It's just really weak. I know we're supposed to be talking about David Tennant, just slightly off on a tangent. The flip side of that is the Doctor's wine. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Which is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Beyond brilliant. Yeah, so that's, that had a great idea, great premise, but it didn't follow it through, really. Right, I'll go back to my point then, shall I? <laughs> Did you have a point? My point <laughs> is... <laughs> go on then. My point is, by the time you get to Rusty Davis' third and fourth series, all the inspiration is going into the back end of the series where they're building up to something. Yes. And for the first half 
for two thirds of each of the third and fourth series, you've just got Doctor Who being made on a production line where all the talents going into it, great acting, great dialogue, great direction, some great ideas. But there's no inspiration that knits any of those early series stories into classics. I think you said that already. Yeah, but and I, I think I backed you up. No, you didn't. You started talking about <laughs> Doctor's Daughter. <laughs> uh, okay, Tenant. Then we get into the specials. You use that word advisedly. <laughs> Anybody here? The thing about the specials is everybody seems to think that they're a disappointment at the end of Tenant's run. I like The Waters of Mars. I don't know. Yeah, the like Planet of the Mars. Dead certainly was a disappointment. But, wow, uh, that was a really empty It was field. quite wet, yeah, wasn't it? I don't know what went wrong there. I know. The story that's so dry. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Hey. But that, I mean... Yeah. That was supposed to be a light and frothy Easter runaround. Oh, was it? Well, if I was it, rather it was excited Again, about if Planet of the Dead had been in the middle of a series, yeah. it would have gotten away with it just as much as, say, Planet of the Ood does or, you know, the Lazarus experiment. And it had Michelle Ryan in it. Who didn't make a particularly good companion, I don't no, think. No, she didn't. But uh, it was written by Gareth Roberts and RCD, wasn't it? Well, it was written by Gareth Roberts. Gareth Roberts, who actually wrote The Highest Science, uh, which has got um, some creatures yeah. that are turtles and it called Chelonians in the Virgin novels. And that's pretty much where he took his idea from, a busload of, um, uh, you know, people, people on a bus. Yeah, and they just land on this planet. Out of, just completely out of context. It was a, a crazy idea. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, but do you know brilliant. what? When I read it, when I read that book, the rest of the Virgin novels didn't feel like Doctor Who, but that suddenly felt like Doctor Who to me. It felt like it could have been in the McCoy era, it could have been any part of Doctor Who. And it worked. But as soon as it became the planet of the dead, it just didn't go anywhere, did it? It was like the bus. It was stranded on a planet and didn't move. <laughs> a bit like this podcast at the moment. <laughs> I'm just trying to get to... Oh, were you talking again? I thought you'd stopped. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm trying to get us to look at the threads. That I'm trying the... to, yeah. Well, you're going off on specific stories and missing the threads. Am I? The threads are, by what? the time we get to the specials, yeah. has Russell T. Davis shot his bolt? Is The Stolen Earth the story that should have finished David Tennant's Doctorhood? Is The Stolen Earth the story that brings everything that was David Tennant's Doctor together caps it off so that by the time you get into the specials you're left with the afters when we talked about the you've cliffhangers, had the meal when we talked about the cliffhangers that was the perfect opportunity to have one hell of a barnstorming regeneration and then just let him go out on a high but i think it just dragged on a bit kind of petered out towards the end i felt last of the time lords uh, not last of the time Lords. what's his final one end, end of time, of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just by the end i just wanted him to go as much as I love Tennant, I just I'd had enough. I just got the impression that with the Stolen Earth and Journey's End, Russell T. Davis had written the end of David Tennant's Doctor. Yeah. yeah. And then all of a sudden, and I don't know how this all came about because we know David Tennant wasn't staying for another series and he was going off to do Hamlet or whatever. And then they found a bit of time where they could squeeze a few more episodes in. Mm. And then it's mm. almost like those next four stories are written. With Russell T. Davis and David Tennant and the series itself having burnt itself out and they just say, oh my God, we've got to get four more stories in. What can we just shove in there? And I think... Having said that, they do kind of cap this 
this uh, this thing that we've said it's it's guilty of 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 ramping up to the point where it, it, there's very little comeback from it, of where the doctor has it's almost like somebody's pointing the finger and said, right, you've had your fun. Now let's um, you know, you need to kind of pay penance for it, and that seems to be the thing that's addressed in those last stories, particularly in the last one, obviously. Um, is that he's got to the point where he's become too powerful, and he's become too central to everything. And that's and, what they try and show specifically yeah. in The Waters of Mars. And I think that's what spoils The Waters of Mars, because that's something you shouldn't show that character doing. Maybe not. Maybe not. I think The Waters of because, Mars yeah, because... is a great story for 40 minutes, and then for 20 minutes at the end, it's just wrong, ridiculous. Having said that, it is taking the, the the doctor. You know, it's one of these questions you always ask. You know, <laughs> hey, let's mention Adric. Why didn't he go back in time and save Adric? And he gets to the point where he says, "Sod this. Why shouldn't I do what the hell I want?" And and that's the story that addresses that. But it's a says, storytelling dead end. Because at that point, when he goes off at the end of Waters of Mars, wants to stop him. Well, isn't he? He taught the lesson by the. The woman who goes in and which... And shoots you, herself. Yes, which isn't Exactly. Right. But then he goes off and apparently has this long, drunken adventure where he does all these mad things and then comes in at the start of the next story exactly right back where he started from. Well, is it a case of him imploding, basically? And it's just wrong to show it. But you could you could argue that it's actually part and parcel of David Tennant's Doctor that he is he is this huge explosion of the Doctor's capabilities, maybe, and, and he but takes then, it to the limit, and that's where you pull back. But maybe that's where it all goes wrong, and I think it does go wrong. Mm. I think by the end of the Stolen Earth, Russell T Davis had said everything he needed to and wanted to say about David Tennant, and that the Waters of Mars and the End of Time are the perfect example. You've got um, The Next Doctor and Planet of the Dead, which are quite light and simple Doctor Who stories. And again, Next Doctor gets away with doing a questioning the Doctor story Mm. in a similar fashion to School School Reunion and Human Nature had, where you can question the Doctor by giving him something that he's not used to Mm. and making him use that as something that reflects back on himself and brings something out of him. So you've got the next Doctor that would have fit quite easily earlier on in the series, but coming after The Stolen Earth looks like it's treading water. Yeah. And then you've got Planet of the Dead, which definitely treads water. Yeah. And then you've got The Waters of Mars and The End of Time, where Russell T. Davis looks for all the world like a writer who feels he needs to say something about a character he's already said everything about. Mm-hmm. I think looking back in retrospect, there was, I felt, much more of a buzz about Waters of Mars. Yes. I think most of fandom... I... I think, from what Joe said there, if you took Walter Mars and shifted it back further back through the series, it would have been... I think a lot of people really like Walter Mars. I think it's mm. really popular. Oh, it is. But it would have been even more of a classic for it to be further back in the series and to not have that bit tagged on the end that you're saying about. So, And if you'd have got rid of that ending. Yes. That yeah. ending is wrong. Are you not talking anymore, Lee? Oh, you made your point. <laughs> Which is, I don't know. Were you um, sulking? No, no. I was just listening to you talk because no, the water. Oh, it was a, agreeing with the waters of Mars. Yeah, that the ending is is wrong for t- tea time telly, but pretty good for the story because he needed to be humbled. Yeah, but did he need to be humbled? Yeah, 
Time Lord Victorious. Well, that's what I'm saying. Did we need to see the Time Lord Victorious? Not in that or way. Just... He could have been humbled in a different way of storytelling. Or is it just that? Russell T. Davis treading water with a character that he's finished with and is just looking to find something new to say about? He'd have been better off saving the woman. She lives. He gets in the TARDIS. He feels all victorious. Then he goes into the next story and then falls. Yeah. As opposed to falling at the end of that story. And then there's the end of time. Which is, I, I love in bits, but it's such a mishmash, isn't it? It doesn't have Bernard any Cribbins one... T- in that. I think he's brilliant, that scene where yeah. they're <laughs> stuck on the spaceship. Mm. And he's talking about his time in the army. I think that's a brilliant scene. Yes. There's lots of good stuff to like about the end of time. It just is a mishmash. What was the tone meeting for that? Exactly. Mm. I will say one thing, and the end of time is a good example. And another good example of this is Daleks in Manhattan. I would say one thing about the entire Russell T. Davis era, and maybe specifically about David Tennant. He likes pigs. <laughs> is that it has a watchability factor that a lot of television doesn't have. The other day, I was just flicking through the channels and happened upon Daleks in Manhattan. Mm. And it was only five minutes into the episode, and I had no intention of sitting there and watching it. There was something else I wanted to go off and do. And yet there I am 40 minutes later and I've watched right up to the end of the episode yeah. and thoroughly enjoyed every minute. Now that is, it's, without question, one of the lesser stories of the entire five years. It's all pretty watchable, isn't it? I was going to yeah. say, you say about RTD treading water. There's RTD treading water, then there's other writers treading water. Well, yeah. That's um, what I was coming up with. And yeah. David Tennant, for all mm. I said at the start that I don't find him a convincing actor, he's still a charismatic actor yeah. that I can watch. And I'll sit and quite happily watch something with David Tennant in it for like a couple of hours. I mean, my first experience with David Tennant was in Randall and Hopkirk. For the first time he was in something I really noticed, I think it was Blackpool, just before Casanova. That was brilliant. So I was well aware of David Tennant before. I found actually in Blackpool that he worked really well in that because his character was insincere. Mm. And it was David Morrissey who had to carry the sincerity. And it's the same in Casanova. David Tennant plays the insincere Casanova. <laughs> Peter O'Toole plays the sincere My one. My mother-in-law saw him. I don't actually know what the programme was, but she saw him playing... Did he play a serial killer or a killer in, in some drama on television? I can't think what it was. She saw yeah. him in that before yeah, she was in Doctor Who. Thing, wasn't and she didn't watch Doctor Who because she With thought it was Kate a nasty Hatchfield. piece of work from the, from the other show. <laughs> so he's a good so, actor then. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, was it a new golden age for Doctor Who? Oh, absolutely. No question about With it. With everything whatsoever. surrounding it, because you had everything, didn't you? New cartoons, you had the web kicking off and being so totally interactive. You had brand new TV spin-offs. Uh, you had the Tardisodes, the, uh, the the interactive TV stories, Attack yeah, of the Glass, all that kind of stuff. Are we going to say anything about Dreamland? And Dreamland. <laughs> we don't have to talk oh, about God. all the specific <laughs> no, stories. No, but, but can I just say episodes. how much I hate Dreamland? I've said Why? it before. The animation is awful. Absolutely awful. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I couldn't bear the animation. That I, I couldn't watch story it. Was fine, but think, the whole the whole thing. Didn't you feel like you were saturated with Doctor Who after about two or three years? So every shop you went into, there was there was so much mm. stuff on sale. The magazines, you know, I I buy them all because I've got a son who bought everything, um, and it was just so much money that I was ploughing into my favourite hero. Mm. And after a while, I just thought, you know, I've, I've had enough of this. I don't want to buy any more stuff because it's just if it's got a Doctor Who logo on it. 
it'll sell. I think um, in terms of the size of the program, um, it's the it's quite big in the states now. Yeah, and I think the start of that was with Tenant coming in. Yeah, I mean they've yeah. really gone to town on it with Matt Smith in the last couple yeah. of series. The merchandise but... helps, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. Oh, absolutely. Star Wars all over again, mm. really, with the figures and mm. things. You know, it's great, great merchandise. But mm. as fans, is it possible to collect it all? <laughs> and the other thing is the reaction that David Tennant would get at the awards parties. It was like he was, you know, John Lennon in his heyday almost. Yeah. Mm. It, the screams I mean, that the, what was the uh, one on ITV, the oh, yeah. TV. National Television, National Television TV Quick Awards. Awards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> National Television was, Awards, yeah. National Television Awards, the yeah, NTAs. Yeah. And the screams he was getting, just uh, incredible. And that's for somebody who's playing Doctor Who. Yeah. It's a funny flip side, isn't it? Uh, it's dangerous to get fans too involved in the production of the. But you get a fan like him in the centre of the program, and all of a sudden it's. Yeah, but the intelligence that yeah. the guy's got, he can pitch it perfectly. Yes. You know, he knows how to. He's a, he is a fan, but he knows how to play uh, the doctor on screen and he knows how to pitch it perfectly off, off screen, just like Tom Baker did, actually. Mm. So, and that's really important to make the whole thing work. Do we feel there was too much David Tennant, though? Just a little bit. I mean, I was in agreement with the last four, as you were talking about them, that I think it was uh, everything had been said and we didn't really need those four stories. But if those four stories had been picked and rejiggled and put somewhere else in the run, then they would be pretty good. The problem, perhaps, is that as a writer, Russell T. Davis is too good and he's too used to telling a story with a lot less time. Things like The Second Coming or, you know, his other series prior to Doctor Who, you tell it in a series or in a mini-series and your story's told. He really mm-hmm. packs it in so that by the time you're about halfway through David Tennant, you could have told the whole story of The Tenth Doctor and such a lot of that, like we were mm-hmm. saying about the stories at the start and in the middle of the series, yeah, and maybe those four at the end as well, such a lot of that time is spent treading water. Mm. But you've got used to him packing it in because he... The whole of Eccleston was packed into one series. Yeah. And he's done the episodes with Tenon at the start that get the big stuff out quick and deal with it. That by the time you've had those, you get an episode that doesn't do that. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're thinking, well, what's this episode really let's about? Not, let's not forget as well the Doctor appearing in Sarah Jane. Yeah, so of course. Even there. He was he was there as well. He mm. was everywhere, and it's all down to that. And particularly in his final year, I mean, they really were pushing it, weren't they? For the Christmas special, they had him on... Uh, guest hosting have I got uh, not have I got news for you it was um, never mind the buzzcocks yeah he was on on CBBS reading every program bedtime stories yeah Mm. that was yeah (laughs) I didn't mind that so much because I like David Tennant as a person as well I I like David Tennant but and he's very funny and genuinely comedic considering he had all that time off from making Doctor Who though he actually pretty much made as much Doctor Who that year as (laughs) you know there's more Mm. those specials add up to more than Sylvester McCoy ever got in a year Mm. and that's not even counting Dreamland I'm just so happy there's that many with him in it yes yeah I agree um I think we're going to get the same with Matt as well now in fact more probably I think I think he's embraced it I think um I mean next year is going to be a bit like the specials year again I suspect I think they're going to make a series of specials for the anniversary and then we won't get another series until the following year. The next year will be a bit like the specials year. But because it comes mid-Matt and he's pretty much confirmed he's going to stay on afterwards, Mm. actually, by the time Matt goes, he will have done more than Tennant. 
they haven't really said that much they're trying to keep it under wraps but the odd little bits come along where they've said it's going to be huge it's going to be this big celebration so mm. it'll be interesting to see what they do come up with whether they're gonna have a I, go well they're not going to say it's going to be rubbish you're not going to enjoy no it. but you know uh, what i mean they're, you know I'm, they're, just, they're talking about going into the biggest production run they've yeah. ever had on the show so what does that say does it say they're going to have more episodes or is it going to be one huge kind of special or who knows? It means they were making 13 episodes with the Christmas special at either end instead of just at one end. But the, the great thing is it won't have the, the ponds in it. So we can uh, we can move on and, and have an adventure with somebody different because, you know, they I have mean, run their course. The, the show relies on that. You know, you've got, you've got to keep changing yeah, the cast, totally. keep it fresh. And, yeah. you know. Where's Craig? Why can he have been a, a companion for the next six? <laughs> that would be great. There was a rumour at one point that he was going to be. Because I, I think I may have said this before, probably off the podcast, where I love the idea that the, the TARDIS lands in the guy's kitchen and from the weight of it all landing there, he falls back into the TARDIS whilst changing his kid's nappy. And then he he's whisked off, you know, and he's forever saying, but I've got to change the nappy on my child. And he actually... You know, has six adventures. Well, and Matt Smith says, "Where's well, the time?" Said, I get you back on time, and he actually does it for the first time in ages. Gets him back in the moment the kid's just falling backwards. I don't think I can nappy. bear any more companions forgetting about their baby. <laughs> 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 it would be okay, Simon. Uh, He'll get back in time. <laughs> yeah, and the kid will be in his face. I wish you'd call it a night then. I was Jr. I was Lee. I was Mark. I was Simon. Oh. I was Amy. <laughs> oh, what a gent. <laughs> <laughs> Shall I re-edit it? The right order. <laughs> no, we leave this exactly as it stands. Good night. You can contact us by email via blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk. 